white buckets you can take and place that in as you leave. Also inside your bulletin, you're going to find an announcement sheet with a few things that we've got coming up. Um, one of the things I do want to draw your attention to is that, you know, the CD that our worship team uh, put out last year, um, you know, that has really, really had the opportunity to minister to a lot of people and uh, outside of our body. Matter of fact, one of the songs on that record, Breathless, was actually number one on Faith Radio for, for quite a few weeks. And it was amazing how God is using the music that is being created here to impact other people. I just wanted to let you know that the CDs of that are available at the um, information table as you leave today. Also, I want to remind you, today is Palm Sunday, which means next week is Easter. And all of, all of our scheduled uh, services are inside that announcement sheet. Listen, it's an amazing time for you to invite people um, that could be a part that don't otherwise ever go to church. And it's a time that you can invite them and say, hey, come with me. I want you to hear the good news of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. And uh, so just, I want you to just take advantage of that. Also, I remind you, especially the youth, that today is the last day to sign up for the staycation at the launch, uh, the launch trampoline park. And so uh, that's in the announcement sheet as well. But we're going to continue worshiping the Lord by the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And that's just an extension of our worship time this morning. If you're on the left end of a row, there's a basket. And uh, I want you to put that basket in your lap. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And as I do, you can pass those baskets down. Father, we just want to thank you. The Lord God, that your love is absolutely reckless. It, it is. It just, you have no thought of your own of, of, for your safety. Uh, Lord, you proved that when Jesus died on the cross. Lord, it didn't matter what it cost you. Lord, you were coming after us. And Lord, I thank you for your great love. I thank you, dear Lord, that you're an amazing God who loves me. Lord, as we give you our tithes and our offerings, just giving back to you a portion of what you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would bless it. And uh, Lord, that you would multiply. We pray that in Jesus' name. I was someone else. I'm worthless. I hate my life. No one understands me. I feel so guilty. Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and we have an Easter series that we put together entitled Jesus Saves. It's a great bumper sticker slogan, but we chose the bumper sticker to even illustrate, hey, that's exactly right. Jesus came to save sinners of every kind. 
People who feel guilty, people who are just lost and confused, people who are angry and bitter toward God. All these types of people are the types of people that Jesus came to save. All those types of people were present at the crucifixion and the resurrection too. So each week leading up to the last couple of weeks and today also we're looking at different types of people that Jesus came to save. Today we're going to, inside your bulletin you'll find an outline entitled Agnostics, Cruel Bigots, and Cynical People. Jesus came to save agnostics, cruel people, cruel cynics, uh, cruel bidic, uh, bigots, and cynical people, and people who can't speak well. Okay, anyway, uh, Jesus came to save all kinds of people, and we have, this, we have lots of cynics in our world today. We have lots of agnostics in our world today. Agnostic is just somebody who doesn't know whether truth can even be known. They just doubt the whole thing. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. They're just kind of apathetic about it. Today, when we look at how Jesus interacts with Pontius Pilate, the guy who sentenced him to death, you'll see a lot of the same attitudes that are exhibited today by people we work with, our own family members, our neighbors, people on, in Hollywood, on the news. You'll see all of it. And it's a good chance for us to examine ourselves and say, oh, those are thoughts that I've entertained probably in my life. And these are answers, Jesus answers all these questions. So today I hope that you'll find this really helpful as we get ready for Easter next Sunday. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, uh, we thank you that we can worship you. We thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We thank you, Lord, that you came into the world to save sinners like us, like agnostics and cruel people and cynical people, too. They were all present in the days when Jesus was crucified. They're all present today, too, and you're still saving people. Open our eyes to some truths that we need to learn. Help us reflect on the things that are important this Easter season. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This is a trustworthy saying. Top of your outline. It's kind of the theme verse for this whole series. Paul writing to Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Would you say that statement with me, please? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul added, and I'm the worst of them all. You and I could too. Came into the world to save sinners like me. Today you're going to see uh, some people who, who are around Jesus right at the crucifixion. And man, if you are honest and I'm honest, we're going to have to deal with, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. I remember the first time I went uh, to do prison ministry. And spent an afternoon and an evening going through a worship service, meeting with a number of people who were in prison, some of them for life sentences and other things like this, and talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. I came home, and I was just uh, deep in thought the whole way back. And one of the other volunteers who'd gone with me said, John, you seem really deep in thought. You know, what, what are you thinking about? And I go, well, what struck me is, is everybody in there looked just like me, except they had a jumpsuit on. I always kept thinking, you know, the people in prison, they were bad people, and I'm one of the good people. Man, it was shocking. Some of these people had been successful businessmen and had good families and all these things, but they committed horrible crimes. And I kept thinking, wow, I would never do that. And it really shook me. It's like well, they gave in to temptation somewhere. Same thing kind of happens when you see Pontius Pilate, the guy who sentenced Jesus to death. That's point one, by the way. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like Pontius Pilate. We can write him off. Oh, man, that guy must have been an evil person to sentence Jesus to be crucified. 
Well, he did do an evil thing. But as we unpack this, you'll see some of his thinking isn't that different than the way people think today. Point A, Pilate needed saving because he was an agnostic who was apathetic about truth. The religious leaders who hated Jesus, who saw him as a threat to their power, we talked about them last week, brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor over the province of Judea for about 10 years, A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. Uh, the Roman Empire was controlling all the land around the Mediterranean and farther on. And Judea was part of that, but it was really just a trouble spot, a sore spot for them. It wasn't uh, considered a prime location at all, and Pilate was not considered a great leader. In fact, he was brutal, and they were okay to put him there uh, as long as he didn't let things get out of control. But he had let things get out of control, and now it came back to haunt him. So the religious leaders came and brought Jesus to him. They wanted Jesus executed. They needed Roman authority to do that. And so here we jump into the conversation. Pilate went into his headquarters. They'd brought Jesus to him and he called for Jesus to be brought into him. This is from John 18. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. That had been the charge. This man, Jesus, claims to be king of the Jews. So he's setting up a kingdom counter to Rome. This is some sort of rebellion. That was how they sold it to Pilate. And so Pilate goes, well, let me talk to the man. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and the leading priests brought you to me for a trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over, uh, over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. He's some kind of preacher. He's not guilty of any crime. It's important to note here that Jesus came so we can know the truth. I mean, this is, a, this is absolutely why it's so important every year to go over the Easter story and to talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. Because it's terribly important we understand that this is historical fact, that it's true. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he just died on a cross, he isn't the Son of God. He offers us no special insights into God and we don't have victory over sin at the cross, and we don't have victory over death at the resurrection. He was just another preacher who died. But the Bible says this isn't just a story. This is true. This actually happened. Real time, real space. It's true. And if it is true, and it is, well, then we can trust that Jesus is the Son of God, because only the Son of God could conquer death. And if he's the Son of God, well, then... The things he told us about God and the things he told us about life are also true. I mean, he's the author of truth. He's the one who made the world. So listen to some of the things that Jesus said, and this starts making more sense of why he's answering the way he is. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus also said when he was praying 
before he was crucified, the night before he was crucified, praying for his disciples, said, Father, I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one, the devil. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said all these statements over and over again that he is the Son of God come into the world. And he proved that he was the Son of God by rising from the dead. So there is a God. And since he came into the world and spoke to us, he can be known. And since he can be known... We can understand the truth. We don't have to flounder around in this world trying to figure out right from wrong. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, believe in me. I'm fully God and fully human. I came so you would have no doubt. I came into the world to save sinners, to pay a penalty for your sin once and for all. Trust me, follow me. That's why I'm the way. And I'm the truth because I'm the one who made the world. Trust me, follow me, believe me. And this is always the big question. And see, we live in a world right now, it was just like Pilate, Pilate was going, ah, what is truth? This is the crisis in our world. We no longer, we've gotten away in our own country, we've gotten far away from our Judeo-Christian you know, foundation, where the Bible was our source of truth, and we had a a source, a resource where we could lean on and go, hey, this is how we determine right from wrong. The farther we move away from that, you see it now every day. We question everything now. We no longer know whether a man's a man and a woman's a woman. We don't know. We used to know, but we don't know. We no longer know whether things are right or wrong. We used to trust in God's word. We don't know anymore. And see, we still have to make decisions. In fact, if you open up your outline and open it flat on the back side you'll see a quotation from Ravi Zacharias he's a Christian apologist a uh, and if you don't know what an apologist is it's a really smart Christian preacher okay <laughs> who defends the truth and uh, here's what Ravi said he said everyone pantheist atheist skeptic polytheist has to answer these questions where did I come from what is life's meaning how do I define right from wrong and what happens when I die those are the fulcrum points of existence. And so Jesus is the truth. And so he was sitting in front of Pilate. The Son of God was sitting in front of Pilate saying, I came to bring the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And he didn't wait for the answer. He asked the ultimate question of the ultimate person who would know the answer, and he didn't listen. He went, ah, you can't be known. He just saw Jesus as this preacher these religious leaders were trying to get him in trouble. He just wanted to do away with it. He wasn't against Jesus. He wasn't for these guys. This was just a problem he didn't want to deal with. Man, we live in a world like that. But it's leading us to a crisis now. Because we don't know how to make decisions. See, we're still making decisions. And we're still dying. But we no longer know what happens after we die. Because the Bible can't be right. And we no longer know right and wrong because the Bible can't be right. And Jesus says, please trust me. Put your faith in me. I am the truth. You can trust every word I say. And when he rose from the dead, he proved it. This is why this matters 
so much. These are not fables. This is history. This is true. And we can know the truth, and then it sets us free. It sets us free to live life the way God wanted us to. And to find forgiveness through Christ. And when we surrender to God's will, he'll guide us. If all this is good news to you, would you say amen? Our world just needs to hear this so much. Speaking of Ravi Zacharias, it was so interesting. Last fall, he did a presentation with Jeff Foxworthy and Dennis Prager, uh, uh, another very very intelligent man. And um, it was so interesting because there was... uh, during the conversation, somebody had asked a question from the audience was, is there any hope in our society anymore since we've gotten away from truth? And uh, Ravi Zacharias said, yeah, he had lots of hope because he goes around to college campuses and does all these Christian uh, defense of Christianity at you know, Dartmouth and Yale and Harvard and all these different places. And every place he goes now, it's packed out. I mean, people sitting in the aisles. And when he was at uh, Yale recently, I think it was, one of the... the the, head, the dean of students there went to Ravi Zacharias's event coordinator. He said, I don't understand this. We have lecture series that bring in prime ministers and all kinds of important people from all over the world, and we never pack this place out. You bring in this preacher, and they're sitting in the aisles. <laughs> and they asked Ravi, and Ravi Zacharias said his event manager turned to him and said, well, yeah, you filled their head with information, but their souls are empty. We need truth. I am making a decision about my career. I am making a decision about my marriage. I am making moral decisions. And you will see Pilate makes a moral decision about Jesus. And what's he going to base it on? I am going to die. And I do have to determine what happens after I die. Based on what? And Jesus said, I am God in the flesh. I'll tell you what happens. You put your faith in me and I'll guide you safely into eternity to a life that never ends, forgiveness of sins, follow me. And we have to determine if it's true or not. Pilate had to determine if it's true or not. And he said, ah, can't be true. I mean, I'm telling you, this story is right off the front page. Point B, Pilate needed saving because he was a weak leader who valued power above all else. He was an agnostic who really didn't believe in God or truth. He was also, he was into power. He valued power. Pilate brought Jesus back in again. The crowd was starting to yell for his crucifixion. He brought Jesus back into his headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you'd have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Talking about the chief priests and the people who handed him over to Pilate. I mean, Jesus looks at life from an eternal perspective. Pilate thinks he has power because he's the governor of this little province under the authority of Rome. And Jesus said, you don't even understand this, do you? I mean, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like Paul said, to die for our sins. This has all had to happen. And Pilate wouldn't have had any power unless God had allowed it. Here's an important note. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He came to save our souls, not to seek political power. That's all Pilate thought mattered, was power. 
He'd been given a position and power, and he had to govern to keep that power. If there was a threat to the power, you get rid of the threat. But Jesus was the one who said in Matthew 16, 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus didn't come to set up a political kingdom. He said that, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, my disciples would be fighting for me. He came to save souls. And sometimes, now I put in another reference here from 1 Timothy, because some, then sometimes people say, oh, okay, well then Christians shouldn't be involved in politics or care about politics at all. That's not true at all. Don't go there. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy about that. He said, pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all those in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. There's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul says we want everybody to know that. So pray for government officials so they have just laws, so we don't have anarchy, so we don't have laws that punish us for free speech, for speaking freely about the gospel, so that we have the law protecting our ability to share the good news. This is what we need to be praying about. So don't hear from this, well, Jesus didn't come from political power, so Christians shouldn't care about politics. We should pray about it all the time. By the same time, we shouldn't rely on the government to do our job for us. Government's job is to restrain evil so we can live peaceful and godly lives. Our job is to take advantage of that and tell people the good news. Truth can be known. God came into the world. He can be trusted. When we put our faith in him, we can live life as he intended in this world, and we have the hope of eternal life for the next. If this seems urgent in the way I'm talking this morning, it's urgent. Pilate's just like the people today. Uh, I don't know. I don't care. There's all these opinions. Who knows? I mean, truth is so relative. And so then we go, well, if truth isn't real, how do you make decisions? Well, you'll see Pilate makes decisions based on power and how to keep it. You're going to make decisions based on something. And that brings us to point C. Pilate needed saving because he was a cynic who made decisions based on what benefited him most. A cynic is somebody who just believes that whatever, I mean, that everybody's motivated by selfishness. We have a lot of cynicism in our culture today. You can't even watch an evening's worth of news without somebody bringing up the phrase, follow the money, follow the money. Every decision's made by money. That's all people care about. And we all go, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who make decisions not based on that. They make decisions based on doing the right thing. There are people who do great sacrificial things. It doesn't benefit them a lick. And you ask them why. People like Mother Teresa, other people, why did they do these things? I have love for God. John 19, 12, Pilate had had Jesus beaten, brought him out in front of people all bloody, a big bloody mess, and said, hey, I'll either release this guy to you who claims to be the king of the Jews, this preacher man, or this notorious sinner named Barabbas, who's a revolutionary guilty of murder, which one you want? And they chose Barabbas. And Pilate was terrified, so he brought Jesus in one more time, and he tried to release him, 
But the Jewish leader shouted, look, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself to be a king is a rebel against Caesar. And when they said this, Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. You need to know a little bit of history. Pilate had built a huge aqueduct to bring lots of water into Jerusalem, taking it all the way from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. I mean, this amazing feat of engineering to bring lots of water because they offered lots of sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. It was a... Uh, a very dirty business, lots of blood, lots of ashes and soot, and the priests always needed to wash, and they were hauling water with carts. And he brought in an aqueduct, so they basically have an equivalent to running water, the closest thing to running water without electricity. And so they had lots of water, and they were grateful for that. And then Pilate said, well, since I built that for you, you guys need to pay for it. So he went and raided the temple treasury and got all the money to pay for it. That did not go over well. In fact, there was a huge riot. Pilate was kind of uh, breaking ground on the aqueduct and celebrating how great it would be for them. And they all came out. There were thousands of people who came out in protest. And they were yelling and shouting at him, all kinds of things. But they didn't realize Pilate had lots of his soldiers dressed in street garb to mingle in among the people. And each one of them had a club under his robe. And at the right time, when he began his speech, they started just mercilessly beating people. Beat a whole bunch of them to death. And the crowd dispersed, but they sent the message to Rome, and the message came back, you do something like that again, you're done. That had happened before this. So Pilate was caught in the crosshairs. And the Jewish leader said, you let this guy go, you're no friend of Caesar's, you can guarantee we're going to tell Caesar about it, and you're gone. And so Pilate made a decision even though he had tried to release Jesus, he knew he wasn't guilty. He made a decision based on his own selfish motives. There's a note there. Pilate knew that he was doing wrong. As if it wasn't enough, the crowds were cheering, and he knew they'd stirred all this up. While he was sitting on the judgment seat trying to decide what to do, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Pilate knew exactly what was right to do, and he didn't do it because it would cost him. What a wicked person. Who can imagine such a person? We can imagine it every day. These things make our headlines all the time. People take a bribe. They compromise their integrity and have an affair. I mean, this is something that should, shouldn't shock us at all. He was a cynic. You do things for selfish motives. Hey, if this guy's going to cost me my job, it's my job or this man's life, he's gone. Even though his own wife told him, Pilate, get out of this. There was no doubt he knew it was wrong. He didn't make decisions based on right and wrong. Remember, what is truth? There's no right and wrong. You make decisions based on what benefits you. You know, this is why we need Jesus. It's why we need God's word. We have a true compass that points us to truth so we can make decisions based on what God wants, not our own selfish motivations. And when we see people do that, we go, that's amazing. But too often we give in to pressure and we make decisions we know are wrong. 
I remember when I first started out in ministry, I was working for a ministry called Young Life, ministry to high school students in uh, Houston, Texas. I had an assistant that I'd hired because we had really ambitious summer with lots of summer camps and things. But Young Life has these national camps, and they use local staff to rotate in and serve. Well, I had done my time, and the, the assistant I had had done their time volunteering at the national camps, but she was really important. She was a strong female leader, and they needed her to stay on an extra month. Well, that was going to completely jeopardize our whole summer program and really put me in a bind, but the regional director of Young Life had asked for it, and he was my boss's boss's boss or whatever, and so he needed it, and everybody told me, hey, you just better give him what you want. Well, I knew it was wrong. I knew it would complicate our lives completely, and I said, well, okay. I was just, I mean, I was like the massive age of 25 at the time or whatever, you know, and I didn't feel like I had any power, so I said, okay, well, then I got exhausted during the summer because I was working all these long hours, and I didn't have help, and then one of our, the head of the, uh, of our Young Life Committee, or board of directors, wrote the national office and said, why are you doing this to our poor guy here, John Schmidt? Well, that eventually made its way all the way up to that regional director, and he came to see me. And he said, I hear you're complaining about a decision I made, and you said that I could have her. And I said, well, yeah, I did, because everybody told me I needed to give in to this. And he goes, so you gave in, even though you knew it was wrong. I went, yeah. Don't do that. I said, I didn't want to make you mad at me. He said, well, I'm mad at you now. I'm in your office. <laughs> and you didn't get to work her. I went, well, that's a good point. He goes, look, if you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to make hard decisions. You're going to have to do the right thing because it's the right thing, even if you're telling me no. Don't forget that. You need people who stand for what's right, not just go along with the crowd. How are you going to teach kids to follow Jesus and make hard choices if you're not willing to make hard choices? Learned a lot that day. Point two, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like the Roman soldiers. Pilate was an agnostic, didn't believe in truth, believed in power, just did what was right. But there were Roman soldiers who handed Jesus over to be crucified, gave in, handed him over, and here's what happened. The Roman soldiers were cruel bigots who believed that might makes right. A bigot, by the way, is somebody who's utterly intolerant of somebody else's religion or their beliefs or anything they're going to say. They don't care what you have to say. And you'll see that here in this next paragraph. They were ordered to crucify him. They went way beyond that. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters, and they called out the entire regiment. They didn't have to do that. This is one preacher man. He was no dangerous terrorist. They stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown, put it on his head. They placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter, and they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again, and then they led him away to be crucified. Note, Jesus came to forgive and save cruel people, not get even. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his left, and one on his right, and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Listen to Jesus praying for the very people who had mocked him, spit on him, beat him, made fun of him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. They didn't even give him the time of day. Why I'm telling you all this is because Jesus wants us to forgive people who mistreat us and pray for their salvation. I mean, we're going over all this again. There are people just like Pilate in our culture. There are people just like these soldiers in our culture. 
intolerant of anybody else's point of view. If you stand up for what's right, you stand up for what's Christian, people will shout you down as ignorant and phobic and wrong and stupid, intolerant. And like anybody else, our defense might be, okay, well, God, these are bad people who hate you and other things, so God, smite them. And if you don't know what smiting means, just smite them anyway. God, I hate them. God, kill them all. I mean, a few days before, maybe a week before, Jesus had been passing through a, a, a Samaritan village on his way to come to die on the cross, and the people in the village hadn't welcomed him. And two of Jesus' disciples came and said, should we call down fire on these people? And Jesus goes, no. <laughs> Considering I'm on my way to the cross to die to save them from their sin. How would this apply to you and me? Well, Jesus wants us to forgive people who mistreat us and pray for their salvation. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus literally did that. In that way, you will be acting as true, here's the truth again, true children of your Father in heaven. Jesus was true all the way to death. He came to save sinners. Paul said that. Not just to teach us good ways to live and kind things to say, but to save sinners. And he says, remember, this is the goal, guys. Here's the goal. And he prayed for the forgiveness of the people who were nailing him to the cross. This would be like you and me praying for members of Al-Qaeda after they behead fellow Christians in another part of the world. Praying for what? That they would come to the truth and become saved. That God would bring a missionary to them. Al-Qaeda? Well, would they do anything worse than put a crown on Jesus' head, beat him with a stick, and say, Hail the King of the Jews and crucify him? That seems pretty bad. Jesus was praying for them. He said, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know what truth is? This is what truth is. Not repaying evil for evil, but overcoming evil with good. That's the note. Love and undeserved kindness are powerful tools in opening closed hearts and minds. If people are doubters and people are skeptics and people are bigots and cruel, how do we change their minds? How does God open their minds? Well, Jesus showed that too. When the Roman officer who stood facing Jesus saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. This was a professional executioner. He'd seen lots of people die. He'd never seen this. Nobody does this. This man truly is the son of God. It's truth. Truly. Notice how truth keeps popping up again and again. Truth, 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 truth. And we live in a world that, doesn't, that says there is no such thing as truth. Yes, there is, and his name is Jesus, and he rose from the dead, and he died on the cross for your sins to save you. And if you come to him, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you'll find forgiveness. If you surrender your life to him, he'll fill you with the power through the Holy Spirit and change you from the inside out, and he'll give you eternal life. Oh my goodness, we have good news. There's truth. God can be known. He can be trusted to keep his promises. 
That's why Peter said, be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior, just like they did with Jesus. And they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Just like the Roman soldier at the cross. Y'all, we, we have to remind ourselves of this. That's why I, people say, well, do you mind going over these stories again and again? And no! We have to believe this. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's history. It's real. It's true. And that brings us to point three. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like, put your name there. Came to save sinners like me. Paul said, I'm the worst of them all. I had read to you Matthew 16, 26 before, and now let me give you a couple of verses before it. He'll take a running start again. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. Give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? A number of years ago, my wife and I were in Hong Kong, and we were... Uh, visiting a seminary that we supported there. And they let us meet a number of the students at their seminary. And a lot of these people were businessmen. They would come for a business trip to Hong Kong, and they'd have a business trip all day, and then all evening they'd be taking classes at the seminary. And I asked them, why are they doing that? And they go, well, they want to be witnesses to Christ. There aren't lots of trained uh, ministers in mainland China or anywhere else in, in Asia. And then I talked to one of the guys there, and I said, well, what are you going to do with all this information? And through a translator, he said, oh, he was going to set up a uh, business in the Middle East, a restaurant in the Middle East. I go, you're going to the Middle East to set up a restaurant. As unstable as it is, he goes, and I go, why are you doing that? And he goes, well, these people need Jesus. I go, if you go there and they discover you're a Christian, they might kill you. And he goes, yes. And he quoted this passage I just read you. And I said, are you not afraid of dying? He goes, yeah, I mean, but I'd be much more afraid not to go if God opens a door because these people need Christ. Somebody shared the gospel with me. I want them to know this good news. The director of the seminary said that these students over there would regularly pray for people in America like me because they said the Americans are afraid to go. They have too much, and they're not willing to give up what God has blessed them with. So they're willing to go because they don't have very much. But they have the gospel. That meeting didn't sit with me very well either. I guess I'm sharing lots of painful meetings today. Do I believe truth can be known? Do I trust God's word? Do I want power and control over my life more than I want God's will to be done in my life? Do I make decisions based on what benefits me most? Do I pray for cruel and closed-minded people asking God to forgive and save them? Do I pray for peace in our government so I can share the good news with more people? Am I willing to go? Pilate said, if this is going to cost me my job, Jesus dies. What is truth? The question is, what do I say? 
let Jesus have the last word. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. He came to save sinners. That's why he came. He is the truth. He knows the right way we should go. And if we follow him, we will know the truth. And that will set us free. My friends, this is why this is so important that we embrace this. For ourselves and that we share this good news with others. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, I thank you for the good news of Christ. I thank you for truth. I thank you that we can trust you, that you can be known that you, you are not hiding from us. You have done everything possible so we can come to you in faith. I pray, Lord, you would convince us of these things. I thank you for Jesus, for his death on the cross. I thank you that he rose again on the third day. I thank you for the disciples who were faithful, though it cost them everything. I thank you for men and women that you are sending right now all around the world, no matter what the cost, who are not doing things because it benefits them, who are giving away their lives because you called them. And God, I want to be like them. I thank you for saving my soul. And I thank you for Jesus. Grant us wisdom. Grant us courage. Give us the right words so we can be witnesses for you. Put a hunger in our hearts to know your word so we'll know truth. So we make godly decisions. Even if it hurts. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, as I was speaking, you realized, you know, I don't know if I've ever even surrendered my life to Christ. We have people that will be back at the 